I just finished um, uh, uh, the uh, the book um, Devil in the White City. Yeah. Which uh, uh, I, I already told you this. It's um, it's a split between what happens at the World's Fair versus what happens at um, the life of the serial killer H. H. Holmes, and um, you, uh, Dave, and you and I talked about this that um. You preferred the architecture part of it, or the World's Fair part of it, where I preferred the H.H. H. Holmes part of it. Um, I'm not sure if that says what that says about us. So. Um, I enjoyed the whole thing. I just, as a theme, as someone who enjoys um, theme parks, <laughs> it's, it's kind of neat seeing the whole process behind creating such a big thing as the Columbian Exposition, you know, and in uh you know in chicago and and there's a lot of detail to it and who was there and what they showcased and you know pretty much the whole thing was uh was amazing to me it's a good book have by you, the way have you guys read it no you mentioned it to me the other day but mm-hmm. yeah uh, but you know about h.h H. holmes yeah of course i do <laughs> okay. i guess that's a good way to start who's your favorite uh serial killer uh, can I just cheat and say it was H.H. H. Holmes? <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, H.H. H. Holmes would be a good choice. Yeah. M- mine's a toss-up between Lavinia Fisher and uh, and Jeffrey Dahmer. Oh, God. Oh, boy. <laughs> the only reason you like Lavinia Fisher is because um, of uh, American Murder Song. And that's a problem why? It's not a problem, but I know that's the reason. <laughs> yeah, I won't hide it. American Murder Song is great, and everybody who didn't go to that tour missed out big time because it was amazing. <laughs> I'm sorry for your sister. Uh, what are your? <laughs> I like how that's how we're gonna begin. What's your favorite serial killer? <laughs> oh my god! Oh. I'm- one that creeps me out, not really my favorite, but one that I think is really creepy was Albert Fish. Oh. Yeah, that's yeah. dark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> we, th- we have nothing but the best. That's Honestly, just go to a party. That's the ultimate icebreaker. Just go to a party and be like, hey, so who's your favorite serial killer? <laughs> Wait till this they're mid-swig so of something. Out- this is actually really outside my element. Like, I'm like, gosh, I haven't even heard of most of these people you're mentioning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, just say, just say, uh, just say Ed Gein. Why not? Oh gosh. No, I was gonna jokingly say Dexter. That's the only uh, one I got. Like, can we go with fictional killers? Yeah. I guess, I really, I'm oh, very yeah, partial to Patrick Bateman. Killers. Let's include uh, fictional killers then. Who's your favorite serial killer, both fact, factual or fictional? Oh God. Now that now that opens a whole other. Yeah, because there's all these oh. great villains who are serial killers. Well, I mean, have you guys supposed- ever seen American Psycho? No. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Actually, I want to read that book because it's by Brett Easton Ellis. Mm-hmm. The who with the what now? Brett Easton Ellis. Okay, so Brett Easton Ellis. Um, Lecture time. Yes. Uh, great writer. Uh, he wrote Lesson Zero, which is uh, basically he's uh, he writes books about like uh, um, about how we become so forced in cons- into consumerism and the uh, rich lifestyle that um, we kind of lose ourselves, and that's addressed in both Less Than Zero and American Psycho. American mm-hmm. Psycho is basically this very 
it's about this rich man uh, who's very charismatic and just, like, upper class and everything, but he kills people. Oh, okay. Oh. Uh, so, oh, well, so, and so you were going to say, but you were going to say about American Psycho? Oh, like, if I have to go with my favorite fictional killer, killer, that would be him. What was his uh, name? Patrick Bateman? Yep, it's Patrick Bateman. Yeah. Um, I need to read that book. I want to read that book. Read that book. Read that book. Because I, I loved Less Than Zero. Less Than Zero was really good, but in a different way. <laughs> did, did you recently purchase it, Sade? I did. Okay, um, that's what I thought. Maybe like a month ago. It's been sitting on my shelf. Send me the book. <laughs> <laughs> Not like I... I've, I've only ever seen the movie, so I was, I've was i been wanting to read the book forever, too. <laughs> Not like I have 20 million others to finish. <laughs> hey, I mean, well, by the time this airs, we'll be well into uh, December. So, I mean, uh, there's there could be, you know, good. This is like a wish list, gift exchange ideas. There you go, American Psycho. <laughs> fans, send me books. <laughs> and fans, send us stories, which is exactly where uh, we're beginning tonight. So, uh, welcome everyone to Undercooked Analysis, the show where the, the show that's the gift that keeps on giving because you guys keep wanting me to make this show. I'm not sure why. I put way more, <laughs> more effort into Midnight Marinara, but this is the more popular of the two. What's wrong with you? I am... <laughs> I am that works. I am your host of the most, David Ghost. Wait, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm David Pumpkin. <laughs> I'm gonna scare the hell out of you. Oh my god. Any questions? When I oh saw god. that, I laughed so hard because I'm like, David, it looks like you. It, it, <laughs> yes, the it that is Tom Hanks. <laughs> David um, S. Pumpkins is not a he, it's an it. There is nothing to describe what that man is. Gosh. So, so I'm David, I'm David Pumpkins. Um... <laughs> Over sitting right next to me is is Kayla, who's essentially the elevator operator. I I thought it was the Bebop skeleton. No, that's uh, those that though the B boy skeleton role goes to our guests today. <gasps> Yay! Hi, Poppy. <laughs> <laughs> our guests today include Sade. Hello. <laughs> and Rayan. Hello. Of the Witching Hour podcast. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's us. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Kayla. Um, okay. But yes, uh, the, for, uh, we would have the whole witching hour here if uh, Dead Palette were here, but Dead Palette's always on my show, so I figured, eh, he doesn't need to be here for this one. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm just ima- See, now I'm just imagining it's like you invited everyone but me, David. <laughs> <laughs> well, at this point, would you would you say at this point he's not just a guest host, he's just one of the regulars now? He is a regular. Um, the reason I still call him a guest host is so he doesn't feel obligated to show up for every episode. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Just so you know, Dead Palette. Yeah. <laughs> Which is why he didn't join you guys in writing that horror comic, right? If he had been a regular host, he would have been like, oh, oh shit, I have to write a comic in, in a day, in 24 hours. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder. <laughs> Just start dragging him into things like, hey, Dead Palette, you're doing NaNoWriMo with us now. <laughs> oh, God. Hey, uh, you know, he'd probably rise to the challenge. I'm sure he'll speak for himself when this comes out. <laughs> well, he did join us for the episode where we talked about it, at least. There you go. That's true. What a nice guy. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, if you for those of you who are regular listeners to Undercooked Analysis but have not heard The Witching Hour, uh, 
you're you're not doing yourself any favors unless uh, so you should go and listen to it uh, soon. Much like uh, we try to do, it offers a lot of great insight into the world of horror and for the creative horror fans, specifically sort of exploring different ideas of horror and uh, looking into fun things like urban legends, uh, mythology, and uh, different tropes and ideas. Uh, Would you say that's a fair assessment of your show? (laughs) Yeah, I'd say you're better at promoting my show than I am. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, forgive me if I'm if, and, and forgive me if I don't want to like steal your thunder if it comes to like promoting the show, but I, I, I want I want more people to listen to it, guys. No, please promote us. Oh, That's guys. great, <laughs> guys. It's a fantastic listeners. It's actually a really good show. If you like listening to us, you'll like listening to the Witching Hour podcast. I can assure you. Aww. <laughs> I'm I, uh, blushing now. I Are you re- blushing, Sade? I uh, I highly recommend, um, in particular for you, if you you know th- those of you guys who like Dead Palette, uh, I'm sure most of you do. I would hope most of you do. If not, he's like on my show all the time. Why are you? <laughs> Why are you um, but uh, if you guys, you... if you guys, especially if you like what what he does, um, you know he's now one of the regulars. And uh, I recommend specifically the episode. It's about the the, the legend of the Tallahassee Harlot. Um, start at the beginning. There's two parts of it. Start at the first part and make your way through it. It's, it's a fascinating, uh, fascinating series of episodes. Could it be, wouldn't that be funny if like someone came up to you and was like, I love your show, but I hate every episode with dead palette. I don't like dead palette. It's like, (laughs) wow, you must not listen to a lot of it. (laughs) That would be odd. That would be odd. (laughs) Uh, but no, I love the line uh, from Tallahassee Harlot where you uh, where you guys explain it, and then Dead Paul is like, "Oh God, I feel like I'm gonna get in trouble because I am a skeevy guy." <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I need to listen to it again. <laughs> so um, tonight on our uh, cavalcade, though, like I mentioned, it is December, and uh, I want to give back to the people who have been uh, supportive of my show. Uh, last week we did um, me and Alan and um, Ted Pallet actually did on recommendation from one of our patrons a Nancy's Goatman story. Uh, so this week we're going to look into a story that was uh, suggested to me by uh, one of my patrons, uh, Summer McKinney. So Summer, thank you for the suggestion. We're going to be reading tonight uh, as far as we can because it seems to be a multi-part story, and we might break this up over occasions, but. The story, the full title on No Sleep is "There are a few, th- there are few things as depressing and shitty as working at a seaside British pub." <laughs> That's the no, scene right away. Yep, that it sounds. It's it's a it's the clickbait title, but uh, it, or a No Sleep title, extraordinaire. But it looks promising, <laughs> um, and it can It came recommended from one of our regular listeners and supporters. So uh, again, summer, much obliged, and uh, hopefully we will. We will not regret this decision to read this story. I I would thank you, Summer, but I haven't read it yet, so... Well, I appreciate that people care enough that they want to, like, actually throw stories at us. I do appreciate you throwing the story at me. I caught it in a net, because we were at the seaside. And now that we've gone fishing, <laughs> let's go to the pub. <laughs> All right. Drinks are on we... David. <laughs> so, uh... Do, who, who, how should we start this? Do you want to start, David? Um, yeah, I'll get this started, and then why don't we do me, and then you, Kayla, and then Sade, and then Rayanne. Is that Works cool for me? You guys? Yep, yep, that's good. All right. 
right. you, you get the biggest one, say no. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, all right. So paragraph by paragraph. So this is part one, apparently. There are a few. There are a few things. That, I feel like that's just the title again. So I'll just take. The, <laughs> there are a few things as depressing and shitty as working in a seaside British pub. Sticky floors, sticky tables, and sticky-fingered patrons who are reluctant to part with their money. Here in the UK, we don't work for tips, which is a pain when you're dealing with sour-faced misers who don't give a rat's ass. Or, sorry, who don't give a rat's arse about your student debt and the cost of living. Okay, uh, there's a. Uh, it is true that UK doesn't do tipping, but they actually are do pay. From what I remember, their um, uh, waiters more than we do in the U.S. So well, apparently they not in this shitty seaside British pub. <laughs> they, uh, that's sorry, uh, someone didn't study their culture before deciding I'm gonna do it in a British <laughs> pub. I guess. Oh. Decor is strictly traditional. Football flags and football jerseys spatter the walls like some drunk patron piss sports all over the place. Everything is brown, whether it's the wooden floor, the wooden bar, the brown leather stools, or the faded to brown booth seats that were once maroon. Even the drinks are brown. Bourbon, beer, Guinness, whiskey, rum, and the ambiguous mixer, Coke. Can I, can I just say, brown is the color of realism, guys. So this is a totally realistic story. <laughs> any, any, it, there, was a, there was a meme back in the day where it was like, oh, how do you make your video game look realistic, your urban fantasy game gritty and realistic? Use brown. Ugh. Cover everything in brown. Brown is the color of realism. That's, that sounds about right. <laughs> the only thing that sets this bar apart from all the other shitty seaside British pubs is the clientele. Which, to be honest, is the only reason why I still work here after 10 months of threats, harassment, assault, and minimum wage. I can feel your mind ticking over, thinking, what could possibly be so interesting and engaging about the patrons that they could keep her working in a hole like this? To answer that question, let me tell you a little about the people who frequent this place. The losers, the outcasts, and the freaks of the supernatural world. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> so we're getting... Uh, we're getting sort of. Uh, this is immediately setting itself to el itself up to be an anthology. Mm -hmm. It's immediately setting itself. This sounds like the start of an RP that Sade and I would do on. Oh god. <laughs> Actually, you know, you know, Sade. Except you know, the bartender and then like the bus boy would be banging in the back all the time. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's how ours would go. <laughs> I I want to be part of this RP now. Oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, well, we have plenty. <laughs> um, right off the bat, though, I actually do. I do like the setup of this. We definitely get a, a clear sense of uh, location and scene. I like that it's not too over the top about how it like sets itself up as a grungy place, but the language is just kind of colorful enough to make it really funny. Mm -hmm. Like, I love the idea of some drunk patron pissing sports all over the place. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's, a, that's good a good line. line. I really like that line. Mona looks haggard today, sucking on a Pall Mall and nursing a pint of stout. Her nicotine yellow perm is showing gray at the roots, and the waddles under her chin quiver with each suck of the cigarette. One of her, uh, one of the two flat screens in the bar is playing the music channel, and Mona curls her thin lip gloss sticky lips at the image at some of the U at 
of some UK pop star gyrating her nearly naked hips to a thumping bass line. As her lips in contempt, crooked yellow teeth flash blackened with meth rot. Gross. Ew. Uh, yeah. I was gonna say, that is quite the description of this woman. That gives a lot, tells a lot about her, I must say. <laughs> she probably, oh. uh, she's probably got that kind of voice that's like been, you know, tinged like that. Like, I don't worry about it, dear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah, yeah. only commoners talk like that. Sounds like a a Noel Fielding character. I just did, honestly. Just like, you know. Last time, last time we did a British story, it was the Queen's Guard one. Oh God! And that was me and oh gosh, that was that was just me and Slime Beast and Alan. Not Alan. No, 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 no. no. It was it was Dustin. I was I meant I I said sorry, Dustin. It was just us doing terrible British accents for two hours. So I'm not gonna do that again. (laughs) Sounds like a good time to me. <laughs> Her strappy heels and off the shoulder dress were designed for someone 20 years younger and someone with padding in places she doesn't have. Her knobby spine rises starkly from the skin of her exposed back, giving her the appearance of some haggard, meth addicted stegosaurus. Okay. And the hemline <laughs> and the hemline of the ensemble is just above her crotch. So when she sits at one of the cigarette-scarred tables near the window, anyone in the booth can see straight into her dingy cavern between the, her slack and wrinkly thighs. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, God. I kind of, this picture got really, like, no. No. It got, you... it got worse. It got worse. <laughs> like, we were both like, ugh. And then it just got worse. Like, ugh. Oh, this, is like the, this is like the epitome of, like, like this is if um, Madam Trashy from Fraggle from Fraggle Rock is a real person, except you take away any soul and personality from her, and you actually have an actual trash heap. I think Madam Trashy was a trashy uh, was a was a more classy lady than this woman. Madam Trashy, oh my Madam Trashy pulls a special place in my heart because um, my sister used to be afraid to uh, to watch Fraggle Rock because of that exact reason. So whenever I bought Madam Trashy, she'd be like, "No, stop!" I like that. This I like that. I like that a lot. Torment your sister with Madam Trashy. God, as an older sibling should. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> she grew. Oh, just... she... oh God. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, I'm just like I'm still just not over that that previous <laughs> paragraph. Uh, she gives a brown speckled smile as I breeze by her table and replace the ashtray for her. I'm pretty sure she likes me, even though I'm the antithesis of her. Young, plump, and brown-haired. Typical northerner stock. Are you a northerner? Yeah, it's good. <laughs> uh, the north remembers. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> and there any boys looking for a good time? <laughs> <laughs> Ending with an asthmatic wheeze that reeks of rot and stale ash. <laughs> oh I love you, David. <laughs> uh, you can always try Dano. I show, I shoot back at her. Well, geez, sorry. <laughs> I'm drinking. Uh, David and I are both drinking right now to go along with this pub scene. Oh boy. Um, uh, I chew back at her, gesturing with my free hand at one of our regular um, malingers who sits ov- hunched over a Guinness at the bar. But Mona knows better than to mess with the likes of him. 
Interesting little page break right there. Um, wow. So we have a very clear image of Mona. Um, Kinda, uh, she's uh, she's endearing already. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm guessing uh, we're gonna find out something, something even more. Di- we're, I, I'm guessing we're gonna find out something disturbing about Mona besides the fact that she's possibly the scariest looking woman on the planet. She's not even supernatural, and she's the most frightening thing in this, right? Now. <laughs> dun dun dun. No, I'm just start, and then, and then our narrator's like, "Oh, I'm just starting light here." Honestly, like, like you think that's scary? You know, we were starting with mundane terrors here. Oh boy! <laughs> then it happens: a fistful of drunk students crashing through the swinging doors of the bar, which, despite being a dive, is on the route of a fairly famous uni pub crawl. This is Mona's bread and butter right here. Her roomy eyes narrow as she picks out one of the lads, the youngest, most awkward-looking one of the lot. Like an old, well-oiled engine, she rattles into life and engages in her well-practiced pity story, telling him of her hardship on the streets and her terrible childhood. The kid is like a hare in the headlights, waiting to be to bolt, but held in place by the adept handling of the predator before him. Oh no, it's even worse. Well, this, this person getting really definitely knows how to write. I'll give them, I'll give them that. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. We have a we have a we have a an avid uh, storyteller mm-hmm. as our, our our narrator here. I mean, this this uh, this barmaid. She's barmaid, right? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really like just all the imagery. Like we get a really clear um, image of everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very it's it's very well done so far. I'm liking it a lot. Mm-hmm. She isolates him from his friends and then bends her head closer to his. For some reason, the others are ignoring them. None of the young man's mates are ribbing him or chatting him up. Ribbing him for chatting up an ancient ming- minging? Minging. Minging? Meth whore like Mona. The, the uh, minge is a very specific slang term. Okay. The UK, just, just so you know. Uh, what does it mean, or do you know what it means? I'm going to make a gesture here that... Ah! Ah! <laughs> ah! Yeah, so... Oh, boy. Lady parts. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> he means vagina. Oh, God. Uh, three minutes later, she's leading him by the hand to the bogs, having promised him the blowjob of a lifetime. He glances nervously back at the ruckus crowd of yobos I'm currently handing out drinks to. Then he's through the smoke blast doors at the back of the pub, heading for some pissed, stale, graffiti-cluttered cubicle where he will indeed receive the best and probably only BJ he's ever had. <laughs> That's good. ominous. Yeah, good, good job, Mona. She got him. <laughs> Real fast. <laughs> Mona, Mona, Mona's had years of practice with this, apparently. Just like, oh, 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 hey, oh there's one. All right, hang on. <laughs> Listen, I know a place we can go and have a little privacy. I promise I'll make you worth your while. You don't even owe me nothing. Oh, God. Come yeah, on. this. <laughs> okay, yeah, this is. God, yeah, yeah, this this would only be like RPs now if Mona was a very attractive young man. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, would he still have that voice though? No. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I hope not. I hope not. <laughs> he looks, like he looks amazing. He's like he's he's like he's like chiseled. He looks good. He cleans up nice. He walks up to this boy. He flashes a winning smile. And he's like, "Listen, I know a place we can go." <laughs> <laughs> As long as you promise not to talk the entire time, God. It's like, d- d- don't say a word. Just, just, just shh. There we go. Yeah. Um, alright. Out to the bogs. Like, okay, let, okay, even if it was, say, um, okay, regardless who, who's offering it, would you want to go and get a BJ in a bog? No. Like, no, that doesn't sound very inviting. I certainly wouldn't. No. I mean, the, okay, you're basically standing in mud. <laughs> We're sitting in mud. We're sitting in mud. Either way, <laughs> there's, there, no matter what, there's gonna be mud. Oh. Um, <laughs> three, three minutes later, she's leading him by the hand. Oh no, I, that, yeah, you yeah, read that part. Sorry. He emerges. He emerges <clears throat> as his mates finish their round and prepare and prepare to move on to the next leg of the pub crawl leaving two smashed pint glasses for me to clean up and ringing ears from the cacophony of ribald jokes. Dano nods to Mona as she waltzes back to her table. They had a deal, it seems, so no doubt the next lot of random revelers that descend on the pub are his. Ooh. Oh, shit! What? What? Oh! Well, as we've already established, as, if these are regular patrons, they're, they're supernatural in some way. That's fine by Mona, though. Wiping the corner of her mouth, she parks herself by the window and taps out another Paul Mall. It's hard not to stare when you see the manifestation of an otherworldly power. But working in this bar, I've developed a knack for turning a blind eye. I know the process, though. As the tacky slurry of semen from the awkward young man slides through her innards and is absorbed into her body, Mona's turkey neck tightens and her lips fall out slowly. Okay. Liver spots and what? Keep going, keep going. But okay. I, I finally figured it out. Mm-hmm. Liver spots and nicotine stains fade from her hands and the roots and the roots of the brittle horsey perm turn honey blonde and glossy, matched by the youthful glow that suffuses that suffuses suffuses the pert roundness of of her once slack breast filling out the dress in all the right places she flashes a smile of brilliant white teeth at me then leaves 20 quid under her glass as she exits the pub tottering into town on smooth faintly tanned legs just that just 20 minutes ago looked wrinklier than i lost my spot <laughs> than the unironed shirt dano has been wearing for the past two weeks Wow. So but like, she's... she waited. Why did she wait so long? I just assume it'd be a lot easier to get people interested in her. She just did it more often. I guess we have to, I guess we're going to find out. I don't know. <sighs> so for those who didn't catch on. Um... I, I'm pretty sure everybody caught on. <laughs> what, do, can you give the name of what she is? Oh, actually, I'm not. Not, I can't think of anything specific, actually. Succubus. I guess succubus, yeah. Um, possibly. Possi- Dude, possibly. Possibly. Is, is, is that a trait of succubi that they like? Yeah, that's that's their main trait. They have sex I, with people. And... I thought they. I thought succubi always appeared as like beautiful women, though. Like what always appeared as beautiful. No, women. no, 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 sweetie. Succubi are um, 
they t- they suck. They that's how they keep the. Uh, they can repair old I, or older, but I they still. I've never heard that variation of it. The per- thing I'd always heard is they just always appeared as seductive and like beautiful women who like s- slept with men and then like cursed them or killed them or whatever. Well, it's not always men. The most famous one is um, uh, Christabella by uh, Samuel Coolidge. Oh, that's true. Okay, and so she, they'll sleep or sleep. Yeah. And she was an older woman as well, and she seduced a, a younger woman. Right. Yeah, I'm thinking. I'm thinking to the like the older like demonology kind of stuff. So yeah, yeah. I guess that's and that's yeah. You know what? Honestly, Succubi can sleep with whoever they want. It's a free country, damn it. <laughs> Men, women, in between, doesn't matter. Oh, anyway, sorry. <laughs> and so the and so the cycle of Mona begins anew. Her youth regenerated. She'll suck dick and drink the seed of young men until she's gorgeous enough to attach herself to some wealthy old arsehole and bleed him dry for her meth habit. Eventually, she'll end up back here, haggard, old, and hideous. The cycle complete again. Oh, that's interesting. So she's an she's a she's some supernatural creature that's also a meth addict. So she can't really keep her beauty long because the meth just destroys her. Maybe that's what they're alluding to. That would make sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How long she's been doing this, I don't know. It could have begun with the first opium dens opening in London, or even as far back as when humanity first discovered the coca leaf. As for the young, awkward lad from the bar, his vitality will fade over the next week or so until he can't get out of bed. Wasted, frail, and gray, he'll gasp out his last breath on a sagging mattress in his student hostel as his heart flutters to a halt, drained of all the pr- precious life force that once animated him. Ooh. Ooh. Don't so accept you know, blowjobs from old ladies. And kids, kids, this is why <laughs> you don't get BJ's from scary-looking women mm-hmm. like that. <laughs> Perhaps he'll die with a smile on his gaunt face, remembering the best and only be blowjob of his life. And even if someone were to connect the dots, the ancient whore who sucked him dry doesn't exist anymore. A s- subsumed, subsumed, back. Uh, into the body of a healthy 20-something club-goer. Hmm. How intriguing. Mm-hmm. What Mona is exactly, I don't know. Here in the British Isles, a lot of old fairy magic still lingers and slides through the blood of the locals, suffusing them with odd powers and the taint of the fae. All I know is that in a month or two, she'll be back, a cigarette between her browning teeth and 20 quid left for me at the end of the night. In a world of penny pinchers and minimum wage woes, a tipper like Mona is a rare ray of sunshine in the drizzle-clouded financial winter of a student barmaid's life. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> She's fully aware that this happens, and as long as she keeps getting the getting the tip... I was going to say, that's quite cruel, so I know you're killing people, but hey, 20 quid? <laughs> you're killing people, but I'm making a killing off of it, so it's all good. <laughs> oh, man, wow. So and 20 the, quid a month. That's how much his life was worth. That's oh. how much. Oh! They say you can't put a value on a human life, but Mona can. It's 20 quid. 20 quid. How much do you want to bet, though, that despite everything that changes, she just, you know, she goes out in the town, and then some guy meets her, and she's like, oh, I'm feeling just right. Just rejuvenated. Could you, could you imagine she's now looks like she's in her 20s and looks gorgeous, but still has that voice? That would be amazing. Oh, my god. Sounds... I can picture her out, like, comforting a friend, like, who's been, like, you know, like, she's out with some, some girls at a club, and 
And she, like, comes up to comfort herself and is like, Oh, you just had a bit too much, dear. Come on, I'll escort you to the loo. She's like Dr. Girlfriend. Come on. <laughs> she's like the British, she's like the cockney <laughs> British Dr. Girlfriend. <laughs> I, if I didn't make that reference, someone out there would have been pissed. Oh, my God. Oh, boy. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. I like- I like this. It's uh, it's it's spooky, and I like that they again they're incorporating a little bit of the old kind of scary fae idea, you know. Mm-hmm. And it kind of works with the um, what the um, what our two guests do. So, what be scary fae? No, 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 no. Like talk about <laughs> uh, like these type of legends and stuff. Yeah. So. I mean, what did what did what did you two think of that uh, that that chapter of this little anthology? you want to go first, Sade, or you want me to... <laughs> I can go, I guess. Um, well, I've always... I really like... like we Well, we decided she's probably a succubus, um, and I always like the thought of, like, different kind of monsters, whether it's succubus or werewolves or whatever, in modern world, and, like, how they kind of fit into it. So I like the idea of this, like, succubus who is addicted to meth, and because of that, she keeps losing her beauty. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, it just... <sighs> It brings some kind of, I don't, the only way I can think to describe it is like down to earth, but um, I don't know. It, it's it's something that I really enjoy in stories. Yeah. Um, it offers realism. Yeah. Despite it being a fantastical element. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that as well. Yeah, I really enjoy this the story itself a lot. Uh, Mona's character and just how her description was written and the the whole fey idea of you know the leftover magic as they put it of the the british isles and everything uh i mean i find that really intriguing uh i think from my uh, from my writer perspective my only thing is like there's a lot of description in this for sure a whole lot of description in it uh if I was personally like editing it, I think I'd be like, you could cut this down here and there a little bit. But uh, what the writer does write sounds like really good. So uh, yeah, I totally feel you there. I was thinking almost to myself that the it reads almost Gaiman esque. Mm-hmm. Maybe is- a little more verbose, but like it feels like it does kind of feel like like the kind of stuff that Neil Gaiman might write, you know. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I can see. Yeah, there's definitely there's a very distinct style that they have with their writing for sure. Mm-hmm. Um. So I mean, I think we're doing pretty good on time. We shall we? Do you think we should move on to the next part? Yeah, I'm. I got no. I'm good with that. We should okay. still be free. Yeah. Excellent. So that was part one, Mona, and we'll be moving now on to part two, which is Stan. Uh, did you, who read the last, that was par- you. That, I read the last paragraph of the last part? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Be my guest to kick this one off then. The tide rack on the beach is strong today. That greasy greenish pong permeating everything with a taint of rotten, rotting sea life. And it's on days like this that San will visit the bar. A beat up cab will pull up outside the pub, listing to one side. It's always the same cab and the same driver, as nobody else will take Stan as a fare. The driver, an Arab chap in a pressed white shirt and black slaps, slacks, will open the rear. Uh, sorry. It's okay. Why do I get the biggest paragraph? 
We'll open the rear street. Wait. Rear street side door. Rear street, okay. We'll open the rear street side door, and Stan will have him heave himself out of the vehicle, which is a process that can take a couple of minutes. First, his bald, dusky brown head will emerge, shining with sweat, which pours down his impressive jowls and onto the chewing gum-spotted footpath below. Everything about Stan quivers, except for the top of his head. From there down, his flesh becomes a near-molten mess of folds and rolls. His sweating, swaying mobs moves. (laughs) 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 Ah, I haven't heard that used in literature. Wow. (laughs) His sweaty, swaying moves press wetly into the fabric of his enormous shirt, and the effusing weight of his ponderous stomach poured into his custom-made jeans where it stretches the denim down to his falling knees failing knees pizza the hut these descriptions it's like holy moly <laughs> there's part yeah. I, I, I like them and yet at the same time I'm like holy this, these are so long winded <laughs> How much do you want to bet? Our she's a so our our narrator is a student, uh, as a student uh, like waitress, right? Yes. How much do you want to bet she's an English major? Yeah, <laughs> oh, you know God. that's a, yep. see. I think that's the thing that is interesting. It's definitely like I almost feel knowing this is coming from someone. You're just like, man, this person is very. Uh, oh, what's uh, the word I'm looking for? Just pretentious, I guess. Like holy moly. <laughs> They spend a lot of time thinking about descriptions for these people. <laughs> and I almost I when, feel like maybe it would have worked better description wise if it had been like just a third person or uh, omniscient type of viewpoint instead of it being the barmaid. But at the same time, this is a, these are people she says sees very often. <laughs> She's so... given a lot of thought. Yeah, I guess when you when you re- you're really trying to get the point across, like, oh no, no you don't get it. It's always the same cab. It's always the same driver. And when this guy gets out, I mean, well, let me just get the point. Yeah, the this pizza guy was fat. He was just. <laughs> he looked like he looked like that fucker from. Um, oh God, I hate this scene from uh, Meaning of Life. Oh, Mr. Creosote. I hate that scene so much. I get queasy every time I oh, see it. Well, I don't it. blame you. I mean, you, you're watching you're watching Terry Terry Jones explode, uh, basically. I know. Um, I, have you seen this movie, Sade? Mm-mm. I don't think <laughs> I'm familiar with it. No, I was like, oh, what? It's a, it's a it's a Monty Python sketch. Or, oh, well, okay. It's a Monty Python. Sorry, it's a Monty Python movie, and there's this sketch where a really humongous, obese man comes into this fancy restaurant and he just vomits and eventually explodes. And I get the humor behind it, but... um, You do? No. (laughs) Okay, because it's gross-out humor. Oh, boy. It's just not for me. No. Um, I like Monty Python stuff. That was just the only sketch that I've been like, nope, nope. It's funny, I feel like we're moving to different Monty Python sketches because we went from, we went from you know, every sperm is sacred, sacred to the giant fat man. Which is also in Meaning of Life. Oh my god. What if this is just the Meaning of Life translated into a creepypasta? <laughs> there you go. Okay, there we go. 
Oh my god. If, uh, if we move on to the scene of the guy uh, of death uh, telling the whole family that they died, I would be so ecstatic. Oh man, we'll see what happens. Um, <laughs> we figured out, we we, just, we kind of figured out the puzzle to this creepy <laughs> pasta, possibly, right? <laughs> it's all done by the meaning of life. Yep. I love it. Um... Pinwheel elbows arms move to pick up a cane in each fleshy paw, then Stan painfully shuffles onto the bar, each step a wheezing, wobbling victory for his morbidly obese colossus. Jesus. Um, I, I mean, it's... Okay, it's like we've established, the writing's not terribly realistic for, like, the idea of a student working in a bar. I can. I don't care. I'm suspending that because I actually like the writing quite a bit. He, he comes... They come up with really good... Uh, they definitely come up with, like, really clear ideas and that don't feel... I don't know. I like it, too. Like, they, they come up with things that it's like it definitely builds the image in your head really well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like, it, it, it's emphasizing the point that, like, no, 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 you don't understand. These aren't just or, your ordinary tra- trashy... This isn't your ordinary trashy meth whore. This is something different. This isn't your ordinary, like, morbidly obese man. This is something more. That's kind of what I think the, get, the point gets across, you know? Without so, like, saying, here's something only... supernatural, you know? If this is still ongoing and this person happens to hear us, like, make the, uh, make the barmaid an English major. And there you go. <laughs> Yeah, perfect. If, if she's, they... a, she's taking creative writing courses. Yeah. If, if that, yeah, honestly, if they said that, I'd be like, well, no, duh. <laughs> <laughs> The bar owner reinforced a chair for Stan years ago, as the booths were too small and the bar stools too difficult for him to climb onto. So at the end of his epic trek from cab to chair, Stan will collapse with a bubbling groan into a seat, then pull a tablecloth-sized hanky out of his pocket and vigorously mop up the slick of perspiration from his smooth crown and rippling cheek pads. That's That's when the smell kicks in. Please. Have fun. It's not just the rank odor of unwashed folds of skin. Stan has his own particular rake. It reminds me of a ship beige and rotting rotting fish combined with something briny and ancient. Like finding your granddad's tackle box from 50 years past still stinking of cod ghosts and waris guts. I think it's Rasguts. Rasguts? Yeah, I'm not familiar with that one. Uh, that's fine. Stan is probably my least favorite customer to deal with, and he's a pervert to boot. Oh, oh great! Wonderful. No, no. Do you suppose he comes in and he's like, Evening, Mona, so how about are you fuck off, you chump? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd be beautiful. Oh, God. Whether Dano and Stan are truly friends or sim- simply struck up an alliance of convenience, I don't know. Whatever the case, they'll chat animatedly about the local football team and whinge about... Whinge. I love that, I love that by the way. That's another, again, that's another sort of UK. And actually, um, when I was in Australia, like, uh, people I knew there would use the term whinging all the time. What's it mean? It's like whining. Oh, okay. It just adds a, a gin to it, so it's whinging. Uh, whinge about the weather while Stan mops himself with an oversized uh, oversized kerchief and Dano flips a tarnished half crown across his knuckles. So, I used to work at a retirement home and there was this one really nice gentleman 
who didn't bathe often, I think just because it was difficult, you know, when you're old. But that's, he had this smell. Because you could, you could pick it up with just walking by that, uh, you know, diapers and he'd have accidents. And that's kind of just like what's hitting me right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can handle a lot of gross shit, especially like when it comes to gore, but smells. Smells are probably my one weakness. That's your trigger. Oh boy, I'll do enough of that. <laughs> I, I completely understand that. I was at um, I was at uh the card shop where Matt uh Matt Holly works yesterday, and I'm not gonna name any names, but there's one regular who goes there. He's, um, he, he's he's pretty overweight, but I mean, like again, that's not an issue for me. It's like okay, whatever. Um, but if you stand in the wrong place near him the smell of him just wafts over you and it's awful. He smells terrible. And he uh, always smells like this. There's and always like, that one person. He when he when he approaches when he approaches the counter to buy cards from, from Matt, Matt always takes two steps back and he's like going, I'm gonna tell him someday. I'm gonna tell him that he can't just be walking around smelling like that. It's <laughs> bad. It's so bad. And at one point it's like I I'd heard the stories and I never really picked up on it. And then yesterday I was talking to Matt and I smelled a weird smell and I looked over and he was sitting in a chair in a chair nearby, just completely oblivious of my presence. And I was like, oh, I'm standing downwind of him. Okay. Oh. I think it's because like our eyes are always bombarded with colors and sights and all that, that after a while you can get adjusted to something. Smells, I mean, you're not always smelling something all the time. Even, it's not like eyes that are constantly seen, so I can understand why. Uh, when a bad smell hits you, it's almost hard to tolerate. Where sight, I mean, you can get adjusted to it after a while. Mm-hmm. I, uh, yeah, I'm just like, that That's a, that would be an awful form of torture. Oh, oh God. It's just horrible smells. I think, I, I think, I think I'd take, I think I might take pain over that, actually. Oh, <laughs> wow. Olfactory pain is a form of pain. Trust yeah. me. Oh God. Um, okay. Say, oh, say it. It's your turn. It is my turn. You're gonna love this one. Oh, did you already read ahead? I'm nervous now. A little bit. <laughs> I, I like to pick my moments to deliver drinks to his table, waiting for Stan to embark on some wheezing rant about the poor management of the Tigers this season. Then I'll nip in and tuck in a pint on his offside before he can rotate his bulk. At my bulk to grab at my arse with those greasy digits of his. Given a half chance, Stan will have his hand halfway down your pants before you can recoil in horror. (laughs) So he tries to grab her by the pussy is what she's saying. (laughs) Stan is a code name. (laughs) Oh, God. Oh my god, perfect. Beautiful, beautiful. Oh. Now I'm even more horrified. Yeah. Ugh. At some point during the evening, a man will enter the pub. Never the same guy twice in a row, but usually nondescript. He'll buy a drink and sit at the table behind Stan. After drinking a third of whatever it is, the man will leave without a word, his mostly full glass still sitting on a cardboard coaster. 
Never one to waste booze, Stan will nonchalantly swing one quivering arm around, take the drink and coaster, then press the drink to his maw and suck it down. On the coaster is written a time and address left for him by the stranger. Declaring to Dano that he's hungry and feels like a fish curry, Stan will call his cabbie friend on his oily phone, then heave himself to his feet and shuffle outside to wait. The coaster gone from the table and tucked into some crevice on his enormous person. A couple of hours later, Stan will return to the bar, the self-satisfied smugness of a well-fed fat man plastered across his pudding features. What? Oh, something... He's eating balls. That's my thought. Oh, okay. He's the blob. He's straight up the blob. <laughs> the blob that ate everyone. Okay, I'm I'm kind of curious what's going on. Well, I guess that there's a page break there, but um, do we know any folklore creatures that might fit into that so far? Maybe if you keep reading, I kind of now want to know what's going on. I'm actually like. Yeah. Well, let's see what our what's. Let's see what our observant uh, waitress has picked up. Well, none of that is absolutely sinister in and of itself, and you might think Stan is a pitiable creature, more deserving of sympathy than fear. No! <laughs> my my time at the bar has disavowed me of this naive notion. Well, yeah, if he tries to make grabs at you. Sometimes after Stan's return from his curry stop, he'll gripe about indigestion and demand that I get him an antacid and a pint of water. Uh, oh, bloated and ga gassy, he'll proceed to ooze rancid meat sweats and trickle out sneaky farts until his uh, corner of the pub is a gauging miasma of sweat shit stink. Oh, oh god. Oh god. Ew. Ew. It's putting wow. an awful taste in my mouth. Yeah. Oh god. Don't, often, don't, think, don't think about it too much. <laughs> often I'd be too distracted by the stench to do anything more than run in with his tablet and water. Then exit as quickly as I can. But on one particular occasion, I saw something that turned my bar hot-blooded. That turned my bar hot blood to ice water. Stan's massive gut rumbled and quivered at the best of times, barely placated with the crisps and pork scratch scratchings from the bar but a movement from under his tent-like shirt ran across the surface of his gut like a pregnant woman's baby turning. And a human handprint pressed starkly and plainly against his stomach wall, then vanished. Oh, mm. oh my god. Now Stan had his own cubicle in the box. Like his chair in the bar, it is reinforced and fitted with mobility assistance handles. Any other toilet would probably be sh probably shatter under his bulk. Oh, okay, I get it. The Boggs is a is a code is name. Is bathroom? Like a... Yeah. Okay. Oh. That's what I thought earlier, but I was like, hey, maybe I don't know shit. <laughs> I, I, hey, I, maybe don't know where you were right. <laughs> well, either way, it's still disgusting. Yeah. Wait, is it my turn? Mm -hmm. Um. It just. So it, Okay. It just so happened that one that on one, I can do this. It just so happened that on the fateful night that I saw the thing in his stomach, Stan's toilet backed up, and my boss asked me to take a look at it. Is that really her job, though? Yeah, that's not in my job description. <laughs> 
I could tell from tapping the S bend that the pipe was block solid. So I did my duty as a Jill of all trades and proceeded to take a wrench to it. Five minutes later, the pipe was off and a slurry of greasy shit studded with human teeth spilled across the heel marked cubicle floor. Stan not okay was, with this. Stan was eating people alive, it seemed. God damn, this is gross. I don't like that <laughs> sentence. The Stan was eating people alive, it seemed. I don't think we needed that. No. I don't we... think we needed that line. I think no, the, the thing about the handprint and the thing about the teeth is enough to get the point across. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was, that was not necessary. I followed Stan one night, uh, begging off work from a uh, from work with a supposed blinding headache. Why would you want to follow that guy? I don't know, but damn. Not only is he a pervert, but he eats people. You know when you see something really gross and you keep staring at it? Yeah. I think that's what it is. Cause I would, I would want to see it. Morbid curiosity. Yeah. For the morbidly obese. Oh. <laughs> his cab wasn't hard to follow. Listing to one side from his weight, it couldn't be missed. Eventually, it pulled up to a pier on the waterfront, and Stan laboriously peeled himself from the sweat-soaked leather. As the cab driver pulled away, Stan laid down his jewel canes, then wobbled to the edge of the slippery pier and looked into the moonlit waters. At first, I thought he'd had a stroke. He simply collapsed sideways and into the water. I expected an almighty splash and an eruption of spray. But the impact never happened, and instead I heard the silky whisper of something large, but streamlined, entering the swells. I ran then, sliding on the slimy boards of the pier, and made it just in time to see the enormous, slickly black-brown body of the titanic eel slip through the waters and vanish. Then I was alone, only the full moon, the stink of the tide rack, and Stan's abandoned canes to keep me company. That Stan is some kind of weird eel, I have no doubt. Nor do I doubt that whatever his deal is with the mystery strangers in the bar it has to do with body disposal. I think that of all the denizens in the pub, Stan is the one I would least be, I would least like to run afoul of. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, so that's, that's Stan's part. I guess... So far, I guess what we're gathering is all the... I assume all the patrons are not something you can so so strictly say, oh, it's this such-and-such such mythical creature, or it's this such-and-such such spooky thing. Like, mm-hmm. have, have you ever heard of a were-eel before? I mean, I've heard of were-animals, but not a no. were-eel. No, that's I'm looking a no it up right now. I, I'm, I think for me, too, I'm kind of like, an eel? Really? I, I would That's such a weird animal to pick. For that matter, unless she's just being weird and saying we're ill, even though she has no idea what it was. What if he's like some weird, like something else, though, like a sea lion, like a walrus or something? Yeah, that's what I was thinking more, like something like a walrus. I thought pig, because they will eat absolutely anything. Mm. That's true. Yeah. It's a um, he's a, pig. He, he's a killer manatee, a were manatee. <laughs> <laughs> Did anybody else feel like the last? half of that with just the barmaid following and watching was actually not really needed in the story. Yeah, but I guess it helps illustrate. I, I feel like it would have been more eerie if, if it had just left it that 
know, he goes somewhere and eats people. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. That's how I felt. I kind of felt like it was a, it kind of was a little bit, eh, there was, there was no reason to add this barmaid, um, tailing him. Cause again, it kind of goes into that where I almost feel like these stories would be better from a, uh, omnipotent or, uh, a, or a character or what, well, not a character, but third person as opposed to from the barmaid's perspective. What's another word for legend? Um, myth? Myth. Let me try that. I don't know if there is a were- eel myth. It could be just something of the author's creation. But uh, my my thought is that, yeah, they could have left Rolneth alone. And then, like, that would have added a nice bit of, like, just morbid mis- morbid um, mystery to the whole thing. Um, I mean, you still get this angle. And it's like, oh, okay, he is more inherently supernatural. But, I mean, do you really, when, when there's a living hand pressing up against someone's stomach, do you really need more information than that? There's a, I think Said and I have even talked about this on the Witching Hour, that with horror, there's, you almost have to be careful because there can, be, there can become a point where you're almost like the reveal ruined it. Like you've said too much. And now that the mystery is solved, it's no longer as striking as it once was. Oh, definitely. Uh, mm-hmm. For me, that last bit they added of her going after him kind of, for me, felt out of character. Because for yes. me, she was just, just this barmaid who has a shitty job and she just puts up with these patrons. She doesn't really care about them as long as she's getting her money. Mm-hmm. Um, so to go out after him, it didn't feel like in character to me. That too. That just, she just kind of went after so that we could see where this guy goes. I feel like... It is a matter of probably the writer did not actually give her character enough thought. I think they just found her as a way to tell this story without thinking yeah. of what her character actually is. I mean, I can kind of get that. And also, it seems out of character for someone who said at the end, Stan is the person I'd least like to run afoul of. That's hugely risky to follow mm-hmm. someone that you know is probably eating people alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean... That just like I I feel like that's a huge risk, and I don't know if our character, our our protagonist here, our storyteller, is necessarily someone who should take that risk or would take that risk. But mm-hmm. I guess she is. It just seems strange to me from what little character has been established of our of our narrator. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, completely right. agree. Well, uh, oh my god, that uh, those descriptions, man. Ah. <laughs> I I enjoy all the descriptions. No, I mean they're well. No, I mean in terms of they're disgusting. They're oh okay yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was I definitely nailed the horror in that part. Yeah, it did. Like I find I find the most entertaining kinds of horror are the stuff that's not just and then blood and guts and viscera everywhere. It's like to me there's a horror in like there's this grotesque there's this grotesque man. He's disgusting, and there's just this awful, awful smell permeating from him. There's, there's a, there's a level of horror to that too, you know. There's oh yeah, little, mm-hmm. it's gross. It's, to it's me, gross in a different way. This was probably more terrifying than most of the things I have read that is that claims to be horror. This was just <laughs> <laughs> like some of the imagery just was like, no, no, oh, no, what? no, no. Yeah. Yeah, this is something that was made up by the author, I think. I'm I, sure. I can't find any legend on it. Hmm. Uh, listeners, if you do know this legend, or if you know of something like it, please leave comments below. Because I can't find on anything in, on Google. So. If you've ever heard of a were-eel, I guess, yeah, leave that in. <laughs> um, Alright, we're, we're trucking along at a good pace. Uh, let's see what Part 3 has to offer. Part 3 is labeled Dano. 
ooh, we'll learn more about this mysterious Dano who seems to... He seems to be the only person... He seems to be the weird person in the bar who just chills out. But that's all we know so far. But he does say... Like, it said, like, um, he uh, Mona will leave uh, the next group of people to Dano, and then Dano actually talks with him, with Dan. Ooh. And they actually have a conversation. So on a random so, note... Oh, go on. Sorry. No, no, that, that's all I had to say. I was going to say on a random note, I read the top comment and uh, someone mentioned that you could basically label Mona as Lus and Stan as Gluttony. Oh. Yeah. Oh, shit. What if they're, what if they are, the, what if there's seven parts of this? Well, it said there's only five, so. But what if this is still ongoing? Yeah, I don't know. Hmm. Well, let's see what Dano has to offer. Um... Who read the last paragraph? I'm already blanking on that. I think you did again. I think it was me again. All right, <laughs> Kayla, you get to start us off again with uh, part three. Many and varied are the traditional folktales of the British Isles that begin with a strange traveler entering an inn, then tricking the innkeeper and good folk within by means of sorcery, chicanery, and sleight of hand. Roll sleight of hand. Natural 20. Okay, <laughs> cool. I pickpocket the innkeeper. <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> oh tabletop gaming nerd that's me i approve thank you i was gonna say you'll you'll find the friendship in rayanne then yeah perfect <laughs> in one it's a prankster's cowhide that as if by magic produces endless copper coins when struck with a stick in another the innkeeper refuses hospitality hospitality to one of the fabled fair folk in disguise and in doing so calls down a terrible curse upon all under his roof Tales all hold a common thread, as though woven from the same spindle, the truth spooling through the tapestry of rich and convoluted stories like a dark weft of warning. And that common thread tells us that never do these tales end well for anyone but the strange traveler. So it is, with the patron we know as Dano. Dano's a fair folk. (laughs) Calling it already. (laughs) Anyway. Okay, how do I read that last name? Uh, McGowan. McGowan? I, I know this because, um, I actually, believe it or not, my ex had that name. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> no, wait, what was his name? Uh, yeah, it was McGowan. Yeah, that was his last name. If Shane McGowan had a shorter, thinner brother with teeth, he would be sitting, he would be the spitting image of Ardano. An alcoholic of legendary status, Dano spends more time in the pub than any other patron. His favorite stool, his favorite stool at the bar, has grooves worn into it that perfectly match the angles of his bony arse. And I swear there are two shallow dimples in the bar itself from where his elbows rest. I like that detail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that Dano is as Irish as a sli- Sligo sunrise. Sligo. Sligo. That Dano is as Irish as Sligo Sunrise was never in any doubt. From his thick accent and proclivity for Guinness to his profane yet gilded tongue, he's a walking stereotype to shame the proudest expat Irishman. (laughs) If you ask him what he does for a living, he'll bury you in his thick uh, brogue, something along the lines of, Oh, this and that, without providing any real information. 
before embarking on some wild anecdote that will instantly suck those listening into his world of half-truths and outright fabrications. Like his... Pogs? Is it Pogs? It's Pogs. Okay, like his Pogs famous doppelganger, Dano has a voice to pull crowds, which is precisely which he uses it for on Friday nights. From down the street, his lilting Irish verse will slip through the drunken street banter, firing some primal part of the Anglo-Saxon psyche and guided, guiding the feet of paying customers to the bar. He'll call for his newfound fans to wet his whistle with an endless river of Guinness, belting out traditional favorites like Whiskey in the Jar, Molly Malone, and Danny Boy, the very song that earned him his nickname. Surrounded by his circle of fans, his mood grows darker and meaner as he gets progressively pissed on his favorite drop. Until finally, the alcohol reveals the true face of Ardano, a mean drunk with a sadistic streak as white as St. George's Channel. Dang. I, 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 I almost said that itself. So, mean-spirited drunk. Irish? Okay, cool. Uh, the warning sign is when the coin comes out. A battered and tarnished silver half-crown that's older than I am by 30 years or more. Dano's lips will quirk into a smile that his acquaintances know means trouble, and the coin will begin to dance up and down his knuckles as his capricious nature asserts itself. Have fun with this Irish accent. Oh, God. <laughs> Unless you want me to read this part. Can you? All right. I bet you you can't uh, balance a pint between... Between these two altered pints. He'll start using one of his oldest bar hustles known to man. Streetwise students and Google smart patrons will take him up on his offer and show the old drunk fool that his time as shystering is long past. Dano will gripe when he loses and then challenge them to more of the same. Make these seven coins and two lines of four. Drop a matchstick on its side and balance a coin on 20 quid note. All too happy to take his money, the hapless Mark will grow cocky, figuring they got this old sot figured out. Then the two coin, then the coin dancing along Dano's brawl, sunken knuckles will stop and vanish abruptly. Dylan Quid says, "Well, you can't. Ba- I can balance the the paint on an upright toothpick." <laughs> like a it's man. It's actually written with the brogue in the like text, so that's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Like like a man bargaining with the gin of of legend, the mark will make certain to clarify the rules to ensure Dano can't swindle him out of easy money. Assuring him that there is no trick, Dano will swear on his mommy's, mammy's grave, hand on heart, that he's being truthful. Unable to resist, the sap will take the bait. But the thing is, this is the one time that Dano is telling the truth. Standing the toothpick upright on the bar, he makes a great show of putting the pint glass on top and feeling around for the sweet spot. There is laughter and shouting from the audience and a look of smug satisfaction from the mark. Then his hands snap away from the vessel and the onlookers fall silent. Atop a single splinter of wood balances a full pint of glass. There is outrage from the hustled victim who demands to inspect both glass and toothpick. Daniel sits back, the silver half-ground back in his hand again as the poor soul checks for some contrivance to make the impossible possible. But there is no superglue, 
No hole in the bar. No hole in the bottom of the pint glass. Dano's green eyes flash with anticipation, and he sizes up the crestfallen know-it-all who just lost 200 quid. Oh, damn. Oh, do you want to do the voice, David? Oh, it's up to saying. Uh, there's no way I'm doing that. <laughs> Wait till you what? He starts. Even you don't have, have a 200 quid, I'll just have your autograph. With that, he'll slide a napkin and a pin to the sap who gladly signs a square of paper and thanks his lucky stars he doesn't have to part with that much cash. Slapping the relieved idiot on the back, Dano will buy the man a drink, then proceed to treat him like family for the rest of the night. And when Lo finally closes up the bar, they'll leave together arm in arm, singing Irish ditties and staggering off into the dark. And the man will never be seen or heard from again. You know, there's something about giving someone your true name. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the sneaky. Okay, um, um, before we get to the, the guessing game part, uh, Leprechaun? Do you think he's a Leprechaun? He could be a Leprechaun. Mm, yeah, I can see that. I don't know much about Leprechaun lore, I realize, but... Uh... We're talking old, old Leprechaun lore, though, when they were more vicious and mean-spirited. I was gonna say. Leprechauns are still a form of, like, fae slash fairy slash... Yeah, they're, they're a kind of fair folk. So. Yes, and it is known that with fair folk, if you give them your name, uh, you do belong to them. Mm-hmm. So asking for the autograph is kind of brilliant. Sneaksy hobbits. And, and then actually, to be honest, um, that that's actually a persuasion trick. Yeah? Oh, yeah. Like uh, So, like, one of the things you could do to... Uh, like this is a, uh, I actually learned this in my persuasion class. You ask someone for a, a ridiculous um, amount, or ask them for something ridiculous, they'll say no, and then you say, "Oh, okay. Well, can you at least do this?" They're more likely to say yes. So if I said, "Hey, can I have five hundred bucks?" and you said, "I couldn't do that," and it's like, "Well, can I at least have a hundred?" They'd be more likely to give you a hundred because it's like, "Oh, okay." That's oh yeah, right. yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So with that, it's like. If you ask someone for, oh, can I have your autograph? It's like, why? That's weird. Where, like, with the, um, uh, with that, this sort of thing, it is like a, oh, man, I, I'm going to give him 200 bucks. And then it's like, uh, uh, I can't give him 200 bucks. And he's like, oh, I'll just have your autograph. <laughs> That's not fake. <laughs> Come me. Yep. 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 Uh, I think this is you, Kayla. Yeah. I knew it was dangerous and I knew it was stupid, but after working in this place amongst these monsters, fear has become a familiar friend. Following Dano was harder than I thought, the sea fog rolling in onto the streets and making it harder to distinguish shapes along the poorly lit pavement. Oh no, this is a bad idea. Just do that. <laughs> Don't do it. The buildings became unfamiliar and the fog tinted faintly green, but I had to find out what Dano was doing with these men. Both vanished into an alley, and I hurried to catch up. Oh. A strong hand caught my arm and twisted it up behind me, and a sour-smelling palm slapped over my mouth. Watch, hissed Dano's voice from behind me. The alley stretched out before me, impossibly long, with emerald fog enveloping the building on either side. The man from the bar staggered along the paving stones, his face now confused, now confused rictus of fear as he backed away from us, staring fixedly behind us. I tried to twist my head to see what he was saying, but Dan knows, calls, 
Callous. Yeah, callous yeah, hands held me firm. Don't look, lass, he crooned. Don't ever look. No longer just backing away now, the man in the alley scrambled, fell, and picked himself up. Then he ran. <laughs> he ran as I, though... <laughs> I got a short sentence. Do you want me to read the next one? No, it's okay. okay. He ran as though pursued by the hounds of hell themselves, as a cacophony of baying beasts and shrieking... Eldritch voices exploded behind me and an ancient, livid fear tore at every fiber of my being. As the maelstrom of hellish sound passed overhead, Daniel turned me sharply and threw me into the wall of the alley, facing away from the deafening din. The screams of the men echoed down the alley, pleading, begging, and warbling with fear. Abruptly, it all stopped, leaving Dano and I alone in the stinking seaside alley, empty and slick with damp. Releasing me, he spat on the flagstones and fixed me with a frigid stare. Last, if you follow me, follow me ever again, it'll be your soul that I offer up as hell's tithe to the wild hunt. Ooh, wild we hunt. We and we and Witcher three now. Dang. <laughs> That Dano could have just left me there to suffer the same fate played on uh, uh, the same. F that Dano could have. Uh, that's the emphasis. That Dano could have just left me there to suffer the same fate played on my mind for days. I know now that not all tales about traveling strangers and, un and unlucky inn dwellers were based on fiction. I wonder, and I wonder how many are known firsthand to the fae creature we call Dano. I think that if it weren't for the stalwart and silent presence of the bar owner, Lou, that we would all have suffered some darkly unpleasant fate by now. Ooh. So, okay. So, obviously, The Witcher 3 got brought up, but... <laughs> <laughs> Do you know about the traditional origins of the Wild Hunt? Nah, not really. Mm -mm. Just, oh, just from Witcher War. Okay, that's a very old thing, and I gotta look it up again, but it's a whole thing involving a, a nightly... Hunt, usually involving some sort of figure with an antlered helmet, uh, usually leading a team of uh, of hounds, and they just they hunt through the night and pursue uh, different uh, forces. I'm I'm butchering the legend because I don't know it as well as I should, but I know for a fact that it's an old old thing. The idea of the wild hunt. Mm -hmm. So, um, Dano is either a leprechaun or he's tied into the wild hunt. Well, obviously, he's tied into the wild hunt or both. What I thought, because he's making these wagers with all these patrons that come by, is like he lost a wager to someone else and now is stuck doing this. Ooh. That was my thought. Oh, someone in the comments says yeah. he's he's not Dano. He's motherfucking Dando. Dando and his dogs. Oh. Who's Dando? Okay. Holy shit, you're right. Really now? It fits after all. The drink, the stranger, the hunt. Who's Dando? <laughs> that was why I'm gonna look up the story of the Wild Hunt, stories of the legend of the Wild Hunt when all we're, when we're done here. This might be the closest we actually get to figuring out a specific person, you know, who the specific supernatural person is. Mm -hmm. I'm looking it up right now. All right. Um, Dan Dan I I liked I liked this part. I like this part a lot, actually. Mm -hmm. What do you, what do you what do you guys think? Um, 
Oh, here we go. The legend involves a sinful priest named Dando, who was also a capable huntsman. After a Sunday hunt, he called for a drink, exclaiming that if dr the drink he wanted cannot be found on earth, they should go to hell to get it. A strange huntsman comes forward and offers him a drink, and takes some of Dando's game from the hunt. Dando claims them as his, and he tries to stop the huntsman. In his drunken fury, the priest shouts, I'll go to hell after them, and I'll get them from thee. The strange huntsman whisks Dando away to hell, while his dogs give the chase. It is said on early Sunday mornings, Dando's dogs have often been heard in pursuit of the game. Ooh. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. So, yeah, they so are... it's probably some some the it's probably some bastardization or some variation of the uh, of the legend. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what I was gonna say. Sounds sounds like it. Mm -hmm. But I think that's uh, I don't know. That strikes me as like that makes sense. Like that comment that he's actually Dando. It's like mm -hmm. sure that makes sense. <laughs> Yeah, you you might mishear it in a situation like that, so it makes sense. It's definitely a it's a European folk myth, so. Oh, nice. Yeah, no, it's tying in very nicely. Clearly, our our author uh, knows uh, knows a good chunk about lore. That that's why I think the eel one must be something. Unless mm -hmm. I'm convinced. Unless, unless our 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 author. Is or unless the the narrator is being unreliable and she thinks it's a were eel, but it could it might not be. I was thinking it might not even be a were eel. What if he's like some no. other sort of animal that, or some creature that eats people that's a shapeshifter? Like what if he's like a kelpie or something? Yeah, see that was my thought that she because she describes it as a were eel, but it's like what if? But maybe that's just it's not literally a wheel ear were eel eel. Were God, eel. Say, say that five <laughs> times fast. Uh, right. But maybe it's just that was the only thing she could think of how to describe it. Plus, if she only saw part of it, uh, you know, a long snaky body, it could be, you know, when a when a kelpie becomes, you know, descends into the sea, it becomes like, you know, horse-like and has a long sinewy body, you know? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Anyway. Um... Yeah, I actually like I said I'm liking I'm liking this more and more as we're going along to be honest. I am too. This is really good. Mhm. Well, we're on what let's let's uh let's press onward. I think this is going to be uh I think this is going to be a, a fun a fun romp here. Oh, there's five parts, right? Yes. We only got two more and and we're actually I th again, I feel like we're breezing through each part pretty fast, so. All right. So, okay, we're on part 4. Whoops, what yes. did I do? <laughs> Uh-oh. I'm trying to... I think I got my tabs mixed up, because all of a sudden I was, like, trying to look up Kelpie, because I was trying to remember what they... What, yeah. It's like, I was trying to remember what the lore behind them was. It's been so long. All right. Uh, the next part is called Janet. Uh, uh, I think Sade was the last one, so I think it'd be me. Go for it, Rand. Anyone who has worked a stint in hospitality, hospitality or in a customer service role will be able to tell you dozens of less than amusing anecdotes, anecdotes about problem customers. <laughs> These folk try our patience with their demanding, insouciant uh, disregard for our workload and seem to believe they have a God-given right to gnash their teeth and cry, I want to speak to your manager at every other breath. 
Considering my manager Lou is as mute as a Hadrian's wall is long, this is something of a mute issue, but dealing with this these people isn't any less stressful because of that. Oh, interesting. Many of you will know the type I'm talking about. The bob cut, 30-something supervisor with dang dangly earrings and cat eye cat eye cat eye liner who pushes up to the front of the drinks queue and glares murderously if you take longer than 30 seconds to serve her all while you you juggle eight pints 10 shots and a plate of therm thermonuclear thermonuclear chips fresh from the fryer thank oh sorry that's you. <laughs> Thankfully, Janet is not one of those people. In fact, Janet and I have a lot in common. Interesting. Hiking is not something I ever thought I'd learn much about, and certainly not from an office-dwelling computer support specialist. From the Black Stairs to Ben Nevis, Janet has done them all. An avid wilderness adventurer, she even hikes through the darkest depths of winter, finding every lonely tour and track between here and Aberdeen. <laughs> Aberdeen. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> she tells me it's an exercise in stress release, and truth be told, she fucking hates nature. City-born and apartment-raised, Janet blows up in cherry-red hives at the touch of grass seed and explodes into a building of crescendo of sneezes from the slightest waft of pollen. Dang. Sounds like you say it. <laughs> I know, I was going to say it. <laughs> I'm allergic to nature. Aw. But she says she needs to, she's, ugh, I swear I can read. It's okay, we call it, uh... Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> you're, our, you're our dead palate tonight, don't oh. worry. But she says she needs the hiking to stay sane. Being employed in an ordinary 8-5 to five job makes Janet something of an anomaly amongst the bar patrons, which also means she's a favorite with Lou, since she always pays up front and never keeps a tab. Tidy, fit, and practically and practically dressed, uh, Janet is a wiry, uh, wind-tanned ball of restless energy and white blonde hair, ice blue eyes, and a pair of silver rings on each thumb, which in some circles apparently denotes her status as a lover of the fairer sex. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> that just clicked. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I discovered her uh, sexual uh, proclivities on my first night working the bar. While Dana, Dano and Mona looked on with poker-dry expressions. Caught off guard by the pleasant manner of this sun-browned, well-dressed woman in her 40s, and relieved that not all my customers were dour coastal weirdos, I mistook her flirting for friendship. When her arm slipped around my waist at the end of my shift, and she offered, me, offered to buy me a drink, I nearly shat. But, the, but despite the rocky start and the embarrassment of declaring my steadfast heterosexuality, we ended up becoming friends and found in one another an outlet for our respective frustrations at work by regularly bitching over a pint or two about our customers. Oh, that, that was respective frustrations. That's <laughs> <laughs> where my mind went when she said that term. Oh, okay. <sighs> While my frustrations run to impatient arseholes and grabby drunks, Janet's line of work involves aggrieved middle managers who have lost precious Excel documents that they need for a meeting that started five minutes ago. 
That her work is rage-inducing is an understatement. Abrupt dismissals, rudeness, and sexism plague her day. If another fucking, fucking bloke in a suit asks me if he can speak to a man instead of me, Janet hisses up to uh, at me over a pint, I'm going to defrag his fucking face with 60 kilo UPS. <laughs> <laughs> Dang. As I understand it, Janet's temper has cost her more than one job in the past, and she's barely clinging to this one by the skin of her teeth. Her reputation as an acid-tongued curmudgeon forced her out of London, hence why she works in this shithole of a town for far less than her skill set is worth. My first hint that something was up with Janet was her refusal to taking me hi- to take me hiking. Sorry, sweetheart, she said. I'm into you and all, but I've been working a shitload of extra hours and I need my t- alone time. From behind us at the bar, Daniel muttered a thinly veiled jibe about lesbian camping activities and how much he paid to see us in a tent together. The fuck did you just say? Cracked Janet. <laughs> the venom in her voice was practically palpable, arcing, uh, uh, arcing across the pub and cutting through the low-key pub chatter and the drone of the two TVs. Before Dano could shoot back a smart-ass rejoinder, the pint in his hand whined in renaissance, then shattered in a shower of Guinness and glass, leaving him with a fistful of splinters and a face full of shock. Wild-eyed and equally shocked, Janet threw 20 foot at the bar and hurried off into the night. On my walk home, I noticed every street lamp for a hundred meters down from the pub had blown, only the display lighting from a few of the shops cutting through the brackish seaside gloom. Uh, a preternatural cr- uh, krill, a preternatural chill crept through my thick coat, and I made record time back to the warmth of my flat. Ooh. Ooh, she. Siren. That's what I was thinking too, but. Maybe, um, Banshee? Ooh. That would be interesting. When Janet returned, she put 50 quid on Dano's tab and mumbled an apology. All seemed well from there. Janet was even on the up at her work, getting a small promotion and more responsibility over her team. Initially, she smiled more and seemed much in much better humor. That deteriorated remarkably quickly. It's Fucking hours they're making me work, she groused, spinning her drink in a puddle of condensation, and being on a fucking call as well. I can't get outside enough. You could see it in her stance. She was on edge and agitated constantly. At the slightest provocation, she would snap at people and her thighs jittered with the nervous energy that was pent up inside her. Or at least I thought it was nervous energy. We were having our usual bitch session near the back of the pub when a group of three young men began to pay us a little too much interest. Evening, ladies, said the ringleader. Piss off, Janice snapped. We're having girl time. The lad sniffed and gestured obscenely to his mates. That time of the month, he fox whispered to the laughter of his cronies. Cronies. Ugly lines bulged along Janet's jaw. Best you and your gobshite giggle dick friends trot right the fuck along now, she drawled, her shoulders heaving as she sucked in huge rage-fueled breaths. Or what, the ringleader spat. You gonna go us, Grandma? 
As he spoke, the table under Janet's flat hands began to smolder gently. Can I say really quick? I think giggle dick is my new favorite word. Giggle dick. <laughs> Beautiful. Beautiful. Uh, I've had situations like these before where I, I the one guy, there was one time I, um, I, I'm not sure if I've said this on, on this podcast. I've told it to David many times. Um, where I was walking uh, along the beach at night, and this guy asked, uh, oh, can I have a, do you have a, a lighter for a cigarette? And I'm like, nah, sorry, man, I don't smoke. And he's like, well, can I have your number? And I'm like, no. And I start to walk away. And then he does the whole, oh, come on. And I'm, I turned around and flipped him off and said, fuck off. Oh, my God. I have, I'm sorry, but... <laughs> I, I mean, there's a, there's a difference between being polite and then being a complete and utter dick. And mm-hmm. I have no problems doing what she did and tell someone to fuck off or piss off or whatever. Oh, yeah. No, that's... Uh... I'm all for... Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I, mean, it, I mean, if a guy says, oh, can I have your number? And, and I just say no. But if they do something like, uh, like just keep going... Mm-hmm. And just be like, oh, come on. Oh, give me a smile, sweetheart. I've had that, too. I have no problem saying, uh, no, fuck off, go away. Yeah, that's... That's what you should do. No, and... and, and I wish people wouldn't do that. <laughs> the fact that they do, I'm glad you're not like You're just like, no, fuck you. And Because and, and, I've always told this to uh, to people. They're like, well, I've, it's always scary, like, uh, asking a girl out, and I'm afraid they're going to tell us to piss off or something or say be mean just because we asked them out. It's like, it's not the fact you're trying to ask them out. Um, if you just ask them out and they say no, then that's then just say, okay, and just leave away. That's fine. Mm-hmm. If you, like, keep bothering the person, then, yeah, women will start having a problem. That's... And usually that's what happens. They'll say after a guy does the whole asking a girl out, it's not the, it's not the, um, they very rarely, well, they say totally understand and walk away or like no problem. Mm-hmm. They usually do the oh come on yeah oh come on baby or start following and it's just like that's the point where you need to stop and yell give me a beat and then <laughs> delve into Janet Jackson's nasty <laughs> voice. <laughs> oh my god I wish I could do that that'd be awesome give me a beat oh my god I wish I wish yeah. uh, say it I think it's your turn <laughs> like where were we uh, as he spoke was on fire yeah. or something. as he spoke the table under Janet's flat hands began to smolder gently oh okay yeah I'm still not sure how Lou managed to move so fast, but his enormous arm was around my middle before I knew what was happening. Then he threw me past the trio of idiots and behind the bar, where all 198 centimeters of his brawny, gym-built body slammed me to the ground. Oof. The sound that permeated the pub as we hit the deck still raises my hackles just thinking about it. First, it started as a distant moan, like a bitter midwinter northerly howling down from the ice-armored hills. Then, as it grew nearer, a discordant harmony, like a shrieking of a thousand predatory prehistoric avians, rose to jar into a terrible demonic crescendo. I think I think Sade called it. Yeah, Banshee. Mm-hmm. 
Above us, every glass vessel behind the bar burst into a billion billion fragments, showering us with razored flinders and a wash of potent alcohols. Lou clapped his massive hands over my ears as the cacophony intestines. I'm thinking I'm hungry, sorry. (laughs) 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 Intestines. Fucking goddammit. Intensified. Into a spear of pain that shot through my skull, the bones in my arms and legs vibrating in agonizing harmonics. Then it was over. Lou rolled off me, brushing glass and spirits off of his cut-riddled shirt. Sexy. (laughs) David. Oh. I pulled myself to my feet, unheeding of the splinters all over the bar as I levered my shaking legs to standing. Dan Oak was crouched behind the reinforced chair that belonged to Stan. Mona <laughs> sat near the shattered bar window, smoking a fresh cigarette with complete <laughs> lack of. <laughs> I love the, fa- I love the fact that that Stan's chair is kind of like Chekhov's gun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Janet's booth was a wreck of red. The woman herself stood, bathed from head to toe in the blood of the three young men, of whom there was no trace. Only a crimson radius that reached to the high roof of the pub where goblets of blood and fragments of bone dripped rhythmic, rith- God, that word, rhythmic, rhythmically, rhythmically onto the slurry of human remains on the floor. Lou appeared beside me with a mop and bucket, then nodded to the mess of glass and liquid behind the bar. As I cleaned, still in utter shock at what I just witnessed, Lou pulled out his sturdy old Nokia and rapidly fired a text message off before he joined me in a cleaning up. Fifteen minutes later, a battered old cab pulled up outside and the wheezing, heaving rolls of Stan's body poured out of the vehicle, then into the bar. I'll leave leave this part of the cleanup to your imagination. That's beautiful. (laughs) Oh, it's all coming together. This Mm -hmm. is great. I love it. Oh, boy. I understand now why Janet goes hiking alone. Out on the starlit moors, far away from civilization, I picture her standing naked under the arch of the sky, the grass smoldering under her bare feet, then screaming her supernatural rage into the infinite heavens where it cannot do any damage to any living thing. When she came back to the pub, she told me she turned down her promotion. Too much stress, she said. It's not good for your health. Oh. Oh, boy. So, Banshee? Thinking Banshee still? Definitely Banshee. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. So, I have this image of Stan just kind of, like, on all fours on the floor, just licking up that goop. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, God, can you imagine him trying to bend over? Oh, God. Mm. That smell, that smell, mixed in with a little bit of a blood and gut smell. Sounds <laughs> delicious. Well, if we're going with seven deadly, if we're going with kind of a seven, seven deadly sins vibe here, even though we got only five so far, I'd say we have wrath here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Dano might be pride. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Yeah. Yeah, it seems that way. All right, let's wrap up. We got part- oh, we're finally gonna learn about Lou. Part five is Lou. Mm-hmm. Lou figured we need to learn about, and this is the last part. Oh. The tale of how I became employed at Lou's bar is an interesting one. 
Oh, sorry. Like many a poor student, I scoured job sites, newspapers, and bulletin boards for a part-time gig to help me pay for, uh, for my rent and uni fees. Of course, there's fierce competition at the start of the year, and the jobs rapidly dwindle, leaving the painfully young and the pa uh, patently luckless, like myself, struggling to get by. As, as someone, um, this was actually very true when it came to, um, because uh, it, it, I've been to two types of colleges. I've been to a public, public school and a private university. Um, public, with a public university, it is very true that when you start out, everybody takes the jobs already. Like I tried to find a job and it was tough to find one but then when with private university oh there is no issues whatsoever because they're usually the people that go are either rich or like me are on uh grants and financial aid and scholarships right so i'm like yeah can i i'd, I'd like to get a job uh and they're like yeah sure there's 20 million. Oh my gosh <laughs> and i was getting a lot of job interviews and i'm like damn so I, I know exactly what sh this girl was going through, so. Yeah. Uh, down to my last 10 quid for the week, I raided the local Tesco for a trolley full of pot noodles, and on my way out, I reflexively checked the notice board behind the checkout. Pinned to the cork board was a printout in January, jaunty Comic Sans reading, Bar Staff Needed. Should have a can-do attitude and great customer wrangling skills. Text me with your details, and I'll arrange for a trial. Comic Sans. Mm. <laughs> really? Really? Below the message rested a series of carefully censored tear-off phone numbers, three of them remaining. With nothing else on offer, I thought I'd give it a whirl. Woo! Adventure time about to begin. Mm. <laughs> Negotiating a job offer via text messaging was an experience I'd never had before, and it put me strangely off guard, as I couldn't present my bubbly, gregarious personality to sway the mystery bar manager into employing me. Even more custody, even more, or no, even more curiously, he probed into where I was from, originally and pointedly asked my family lineage contained any non-UK blood. Hmm. Desperate for employment, I was at least able to reply honestly to the racist pub owner that I was purebred Anglo as they get for ten, ten generations or more, and fair-skinned enough to burn on a sunny uh, winter's <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> Half an hour, I was sent to the address of the bar and told to head over where I should introduce myself to the big blonde guy behind the bar. Jeez. <laughs> The place was clearly a dive from the outside, though someone had made an effort to throw some fresh paint on the exterior and the glass and the windows looked brand new. A haggard mutton dressed mutton dressed as lamb thing with a weathered blonde perm sat in the window, fagging up despite the UK wide smoking ban in pubs. I was already oh. starting to get a feel for the place. Oh, that's that's Mona. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh Inside was, as I've described in my previous tales, a sepia-hued, sports-sticky loser trap designed to suck money out of all those who could ill afford to part with it. Two bulbs were out of the f out in the fly-speckled ceiling, and on the bar stood an absolute colossus. And at the bar, on the bar, stood an absolute colossus of a human being, using hands as bread as broad as footballs to replace the blown lights. Blue tattoos wound around his forearms and disappeared into the short sleeves of a white polo shirt which barely contained the barrel chest and thick neck of someone who lives most of his life outside 
of work in the gym. Standing nervously at the bar, I watched him climb down, dust off his hands, and turn a radiant white tube smile toward me that caused an inv involuntary flutter in my stomach. Sorry. Sorry. Okay. Oh, dang. <laughs> <laughs> Bustle the manager. <laughs> Corralled an unkept Irish nursing, Irishman nursing a Guinness. He doesn't say much. <laughs> Ushering me behind the bar, the giant mute began to show me around the place and explain, largely through hand gestures and the odd scribbled note, my new responsibilities. So that's the story of how I got the job at the pub. After my first week, Lou offered me a part-time job, an envelope, and a page of instructions about the running of the pub. Most of it was general business, how to lock up and set the alarm if I was the last one out and the like. But at the end of it, all was a curious passage that read that read as follows should anything terrible ever happen to me open the envelope which you should keep safe and not show to a single soul Ooh. grateful just to have the job that at least paid minimum wage i took the envelope into the back of one of my textbooks and promptly forgot about it the idea that anything could happen to lou seemed faintly faintly preposterous though as i got to know the peculiarities and personalities of the pub patrons I began to realize that I actually knew precious little about the proprietor. Hell, I didn't even know his last name. And why he had absolutely no fear of the motley of the motley of fey weirdos that graced his establishment. I also had no clue. He seemed as mortal to me. Did I read that right? He seemed as mortal to me, plainly able to bleed and therefore able to die. But that didn't mean he accepted everyone into his pub, as I later found out. Knobbly shoulders, an oiled ponytail, and a sparse goatee marked Dave as exactly the kind of loser who should belong to the dingy sunny side pub. But even amongst dried-in-the-wool miscreants and malcontents, there was something off about him. He claims some distant noble heritage, that he was a descendant from the ancient city kings of the north, that, he, that his apparent birthright gave him no unique gifts, was a sore point, and he would often mutter dourly to himself when the others ribbed him about his claims to an eldritch lineage. Hence he earned the unkind moniker, the Duke. One fateful, night, one fateful night, he apparently had enough of it all and started smashing up the place. After Lou tossed him out on, the, on his arse, battered and bruised, the Duke had vowed he would come back and kill every last one of us, Lou especially. We didn't see him again for many months, but when he returned, it was clear that something had changed. Whether he had made a bargain with some unseely spirit or he had made a pact with hell itself, he clearly had power now. Sorry, love. I told him as he paced toward the bar, but you're going to have to leave. His leather trench coat creaked as he ignored me and planted himself on one of the bar stools. Cocking my head, I pitched my voice to cut through the buzz of the ambient pub noise. Lou, got a visitor for you. As my boss pushed through the door from the kitchen, the temperature in the bar dropped abruptly. The dishwater in the sink icing over in an instant. Pale blue light flared in the Duke's eyes as he raised his hands and chanting his hands and chanted a string of alien vowels. Lou moved like a dancer, sliding past me and straight under the bar where Duke sat without cra with crackling 
sapphire flame ringing his fists. Whoa, this escalated to magic real fast. Yeah. <laughs> but before the newly fledged sorcerer could utter the final syllables of his spell, there was a great crack, and the two feet of silver-bladed claymore pierced the bar, impaling him through the gut. Oh, damn. Sagging forward onto the blade, the man coughed a great gout of chrism, chrism, chrism onto the sticky wood under his hands. And as he did so, the arcane energies around his fist flared at the contact with fluid, licking along the wood and engulfing the blade. With an arterial howl of surprise and triumph, the duke grasped the sword in both hands and dribbled out the last words of his curse. A searing flash of blue flame engulfed the blonde giant beneath the bar, and then Lou was gone. Only a heap of smoldering black ash marking his demise. Oh no. Still grinning bloodily on the end of the warped black blade, the sorcerer snapped the ruined sword, then lurched out of the bar, leaving spatterings of red in his wake. All we could do was stare in abject shock. <sighs> the instructions in the envelope were clear and concise, leaving little room for to be misinterpreted. But why Lou would have chosen this particular godforsaken stretch of desolate coastline for his last rites was not at all clear. The cave was exactly what he had described in the letter, and inside was the dented and patched cauldron that he said would be there. Filling it with seawater took several trips, but once it was full, I lit a driftwood fire under it and waited for the sun to set. As it finally slipped below the horizon, I fished the lock of blonde hair from the bottom of the envelope and cast it into the slowly boiling seawater. Keep the fire burning until sunrise, the letter had said. But whatever happens, do not look into the cauldron, not under any circumstances. Nonplussed, I wonder what could possibly happen if I did. I settled back on my coat and backpack and let the tears come as I watched the flames flicker under the under the oven-sized suit-streaked vessel. Lou was a, was the sole person I was still able to afford my f sorry. Lou was the sole right. reason I was still able to afford my flat intuition, and he and his motley of loser supernaturals had become like a surrogate family. Lulled, lulled by the warmth and the crackle of the fire, I finally slipped into an exhausted sleep. I don't like to think of Stan being involved in any way. Yeah, yeah, I kind of was like, no, no, or, no, no. Or the woman who steals life force from people by giving them blowjobs. Like, okay. Yeah. I, like, I get it, but... I feel like this. Uh, if, if 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 that had wanted, if, if the writer had wanted to establish that, there needed to be a lot more interaction that made these characters endearing because some of them really are not people you would want as your family. Yeah, no, I don't feel like they're people that. I feel like I mean, she would be sad for Lou because I feel like Lou was kind of protecting her, you know. Mm -hmm. And then Janet was actually friends with her. That Janet was the only one she seemed to befriend. The others were all weirdo creeps. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. Mona still like talked to her and treated her normal. I think Stan, God no. Well, Stan, both Stan and well, Stan eats people. Mona drains people's life force, but, but she tips well. well. And, she, she tips well, but that, that she's still killing people. She's still killing people. Oh boy. And for the and thirdly, so is uh, so is Dano. Dano's leaving people off so they get taken by the wild hunt. Mm -hmm. I awoke with a preternatural sense of dread. 
The fire had burned low, and I could see nothing beyond a dim circle of radiance. Heaping more of the stacked driftwood onto the coals, the cave slowly brightened, and my stomach lurched with vertigo. Around me the cake wall... Cake. God. <laughs> the, around me the cave walls were lost hundreds of meters into the darkness, the ceiling far beyond the reach of the light. Emerald sparks... Excuse me. Dance on the bubbling sea water surface of the cauldron, and tendrils of steam rose from it, curling into sinister shapes. Off the cave, of the cave entrance, there was no sign, and in fact, apart from the circle of stone that I had, that I and the cauldron sat upon, there appeared to be no other ground at all. More, <laughs> more terribly, something stirred in the abyss surrounding my island of rock. Something that moved slowly and languidly with the maddening celestial gaze that fired a primeval terror in the core of my being. Primeval terror of the core of my being. I did not belong here! <laughs> <laughs> the cauldron groaned as though it bore a great burden of weight and something splashed in the verdant depths. Chilled and despite the warmth of the fire, I found myself caught between a horror of the something that turned ponderously and hugely in the darkness below and the unknown thing inside the cauldron. How long I huddled in the no man's land between the glimmering, murmuring, murmuring cauldron and the precipice? Precipice. 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 I'm learning words today. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> A lot of British words. Uh, murmuring cauldron and the precipice, I don't know. My phone was little more than a paperweight, refusing to even turn on in this otherworldly limbo. Voices began to slither out of the void beyond the firelight, monstrous at first, then becoming familiar as family, their distorted echoes pleading me to look into the cauldron, and insisting that if I did not, the night this night would never end. Stuffing the sleeves of my coat over my ears, I screamed at the voices to desist. A pillar of rock that supported the cauldron trembled as my vo trembled at my voice, as though my cry had disturbed the unknown behemoth below. Fairy fire danced on the water now, blazing and moiling and leaping in a confluence of blayful, uh, baleful radiance. The fire beckoned me, and the cauldron murmured soothingly again, as though calling me for calling for me to approach. Closing my eyes, I willed myself to think of anything else but anything but the cauldron. To think of kittens and sunny nooks, bumblebee-filled meadows, and the smell of old books. <laughs> okay. That's cute. Green flared against my eyelids, and I felt the pillar of rock tremble again. Both entities seemed angered by my refusal. Gritting my teeth, I focused my will into a singular point and found a well of calm in the center of my being, some old piece of my ancestry that could not be touched by these forces. That's that British part that was super important, apparently. Mm -hmm. And then, abruptly, it was over. Sunrise lanced through the entrance of the cave and shone on the battered old cauldron, now empty of even seawater. Of the dread precipice and the dire fairy fire, there was no sign. Only the normal rock of the sea-damp cave remained. I had done my duty. I had completed Lou's last rites. As I entered the pub, the soul-rending stains of Danny Boy stirred my weary heart and fresh tears slicked my sea-salty face. Inside, the others had gathered to pay tribute to the fallen hero, Dano's voice lending an eternal atmosphere to the place, the sticky wooden floor and the dusty football banners fading into the background as the tune of Rose to calm 
the focus, to claim the focus of the pub. As the final note trailed off, Mona sniffed and blew her nose into a napkin. Dano grimly picked up his Guinness, and Janet patted me on the back as she busily wiped under her eyes with her free hand. Slow, sardonic clapping from behind me, and I turned confused to view the twisted smirk of the Duke, standing in the door of the pub. Get out, I spat at him. Touching me gently, he stalked forward. That won't do, he groaned. Then there was a blur of motion, then Duke no longer stood in front of me. Instead, he now hung from the thick wooden doorpost, a bronze-shod spear, pinioning him through the heart. And behind the bar stood Lou, grinning from ear to ear. With a final gurgle of confused dismay, the Duke stared at the apparition before him, then died. The hell? I wonder. When, what happened in that cave lies unspoken between Lou and I, a closely guarded secret, and security against those who might seek his death in future. A precious lock of his hair lies tucked away in a hidden place should the need to use the cauldron of rebirth ever arise again. And as for me... The trial in the cave left its mark on my soul. I see things now. Things no mortal should be capable of seeing. But that's a tale for another time. I better get off my computer. My employer is taking me out to dinner. Oh! <laughs> that turned from horror to like more of just kind of a, a weird fantasy story. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like, wow, the tone changed drastically. <laughs> yeah, I... Don't know how I feel about it because I still liked it, but I'm like, okay, now if Dead Palette would hear it, be he'd probably say something along the lines of, "Well, the realist horror angle has uh, pretty much been lost." <laughs> oh, definitely, <laughs> absolutely. But I still liked this. I still liked this. Um, this overall, I think the only weak point. There's a couple. I mean, there's a couple of things we addressed, but I think the Duke is kind of a weak point. We don't Me know too. much about this weirdo. Mm -hmm. Here, here's my my thought on the whole, kind of as a whole, is in my opinion, it started out as one thing, got popular, became another thing, and I feel like what this really feels like is a rough draft of something that needs, like, about, like, another 20,000 words added into it, I guess. There, there's so much just kind of like, it feels like, it feels like very, I guess, like it was rushed to me. Um, you know what I, you know what I think of um, when I hear this. Uh, have you guys ever heard of Wayside Schools? No, no. Shaking my head. No. I, oh wait, wait, wait. Oh, wait, wait, wait. It sounds familiar now. Actually, was that? I'll let you talk about it because I think now I know which one it is. Okay, so uh, the the original book was called Sideways Stories from Wayside School, and it was about uh, a strange elementary school where each chapter. Uh, was about a different kid and how they were strange. Yeah. That the similarity yeah. between them is they were all in the same classroom and that the school itself was weird. And actually, the guy who wrote it is the same guy, uh, Louis uh, Sacker, who is the same guy who wrote Holes. And this is what it kind of reminds me of, but like in a more adult setting and with a pub. I, I could see this actually being a book mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. each chapter describing another like mythical creature that came in. Yeah. And then finding a way to have it. I think I was. I, I think there could have been a better way to have it all come together mm -hmm. in the end. I think if we had seen a little bit of Luke in all the previous parts, just maybe pissing off each patron, just like a quick little thing of him there, and then maybe leaving, just that would have brought it all together better. 
Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You can't. It, this is my number one complaint with a lot of stories. They'll bring in characters too late for me to care about them. Is how I is the only way I can think of to describe it. This would have had like the, so much impact if he had been brought in at the beginning. Like the quote unquote antagonist came in too late. Mm-hmm. It just felt like it was thrown in for the sake of oh, we need to kill off Lou so his thing can be identified. His weird supernatural trait can be identified also i think lou could have popped up earlier yes i he i mean he did pop up uh midway through but i think that was a bit too late Mm -hmm. but yeah the duke should have popped in earlier and i think lou should have popped in earlier yeah Yeah, definitely and dana was given a bit more credit than what was than on what I felt was needed earlier on because the way it made it where like oh he was working with this guy and this guy and then when his part came about it was like okay he's just like another one of the regular patrons yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Hmm. Dano was kind of underwhelming for how much he was built up because he was mentioned in the very first story as someone not to mess with I don't know yeah but in terms of the story itself, it's not a creepypasta, by the way. This no. is definitely not no. creepypasta, uh-uh. but it's a good story. Mm-hmm. If you if you look up Lou spelled with a you uh, spelled L U G H, I'm looking at the comments to see what people are thinking. Someone said Lou spelled that way and said feckin' Brill. So I'm thinking this he might again like all these other characters, he might be based off an existing legend. Mm-hmm. So. That's interesting. I'm going to look that up, too. Probably, again, stuff specifically from the the British Isles. Um, Again, listeners, if you have your own opinions or know anything about this, uh, any, like, backstory behind this, these characters, please send us your comments. Yeah, feel free to to reference this. I'm digging... I like when when an author can delve into folklore in an interesting way, and that was definitely done here. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so I get, so, uh, oh, one other thing I noticed was, uh, someone <laughs> commented that totally threw off the seven deadly sin crowd. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we were on a roll. Yep. I, right. I, uh, yeah, you know, it's, I feel like this is like, so, this has so much good little things in it that if this person really wanted to get into it and elaborate and rework certain things, like this could be like a, like you said, a really good book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With a lot more characters, a lot more stories. Time to build up, yeah. Yeah, needs the build up. To me, that's just the one thing it really lacks is that build up that you, like you said, we were like, why does she view these people as family? The stands an asshole. Like, <laughs> eat people. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, the fact that it's kind of got something su- kind of under undercurrent of the whole thing, and then it's got more like each thing is an anic- is like a little story, like an anthology story. Then it builds to a proper, like you know, continuing narrative in a weird way. Mm-hmm. Um, another another author it reminds me of is John Belairs, who wrote um, a house with a clock in its walls. Um, I'm not sure how many, if anyone here is familiar with that book. No, that was one of my favorites as a kid. I love that book. But anyway, it was very much about uh, that kind of idea where you had sort of all these stories that were kind of about just different incidents in this kid's life, living with his his uh, uncle Jonathan and um, it I mean not really a spoiler it gets revealed on uncle Jonathan and his best friend Mrs. Zimmerman are, are both uh, wizards and um, though there's some something something bigger going on in the background during all of it it takes a backseat until it needs to happen while sort of the relationship between these characters gets established but 
when the antagonistic threat pops up closer to the end of the book, it's, it's adequately been built up because it keeps getting referenced in the background. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things I feel like that part with the Duke was just kind of like, well, the Duke feels like kind of an afterthought. I feel like if she had mentioned his presence popping up every so often, just being a total, you know, a, a prick, total prick, mm-hmm. just being a, a little loser, just like I would have been like, OK, cool. So now we see him trying to get his comeuppance, this Duke character. Mm-hmm. I don't think the Duke was a thought in the writer's head when they started the first couple parts, because I think from from part to part, they did a good job of it, like, kind of hinting at what was going to come next. Um, So I I think if they went back and and touched it up, this could be really something really, really, really really great. I really really enjoyed this for our first story with you. Well, thanks for joining me. I I realize this was an extra long one, but I appreciate that you uh, you both hung in there with me on this one. We hang out. I was gonna say we we hang we hang out on Skype pretty often. That it's just like oh, let's just sit and chat. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) right. Well, that works. So as is custom, let's give it the uh, let's give this story the um, the the um, official undercooked analysis freshness rating. Um. And I will let our, let's see, let's start with Rayanne. Wait, I don't know how this works. <laughs> yes, okay, make it up. You can give it, it's, it's, well, I'll tell you, I'll let Kayla start it then. Okay, I'll do it. Um, I feel like I went to an Italian restaurant, and instead of ordering pasta, I decided to order the Parmesan chicken. But it was very tasty, and it was like, yeah, it's not pasta, but it's good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's pretty good. I, um, I'll give it, um, I'll give it, uh, three exploding bar patrons out of a bunch of bad sports equipment. <laughs> oh, oh my God. Or, but to give it a proper freshness rating, I, I'd say it's, um, it's, it, it's like going into a hole in the wall place, kind of like the Seaside British pub, and then finding out the food is really good. And maybe you didn't like, like, kind of like you said, it's not... The it's not necessarily what you wanted, but when you have it, when you taste it, it's like, oh, okay, this was actually pretty pretty tasty. So it was good. I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. For me, my favorite places to eat are in those like hole in the wall places that don't look good on the end on the outside. Like uh, you order the food and it's not always spot on, but you're very satisfied at the end. Mm-hmm. That's that's what this was for me. I like that. Nice. Uh, for me, I feel like I I ordered something, got something completely different, started to eat it, and it was pretty darn good. But then I realized that my plate was empty, and I was like, "Where's the rest of it?" So, <laughs> so you ate you ate it all, and you realized you had more of an appetite in that, and wanted more. Exactly. Yeah. Portion wasn't big enough. Yep. Exactly. And Rianne is a picky eater. Rianne is a very picky eater. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I. Yeah. It's like I did. I I ate it. I enjoyed it. So. <laughs> well, excellent. Um, that's a that's a. It sounds like that was that's a universal um that's a universal fresh certified fresh from all of us. Except the ending. <laughs> it's it started out well, with the freshness rating. It started out a little bit more weird and like just like I I'd say this is fresh or it's meh or it's undercooked. But now we'd like to be more weird and elaborate about it. Uh, <laughs> uh, so that's how that. So I. All right. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Oh, my brain just. 
did a weird one on me. I was gonna I was gonna ask the question of which did you guys prefer? Did you prefer the tone at the beginning or did you prefer the tone at the end? Um, I kind of like. You know, I like both tones. I just wish it would choose one or the choose other. One or the- mm-hmm. I feel the same way. Mm-hmm. A little bit of gallows humor would have stayed strong. I feel like the tone did shift, and I think I like the tone near the beginning more. Mm-hmm. I also like the tone at the end. It's the shift that's a little awkward. I kind of wanted it to stay more in that realm of, like, kind of darkness. I like it. I, I agree. I like that dark, creepy feeling more than I like the pure fantasy feeling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How did we go from, like... The second chapter, they're talking about greasy shit to my hot manager's taking me out tonight. Like, <laughs> oh yeah. Do you do you really want to to date that guy though? Do you, he's, do you he's go, some sort of. Do you want to go out with the guy uh, who asked you to unclog the toilets? That's my thought. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> do you want to go out with the guy who routinely makes you deal with, um, this like, person eating pervert? Yeah. Although. There is that the whole thing of like, mmm, I get to sleep with my boss. I was gonna say if this had been one of our RPs, someone was gonna hook up. We knew that. It, it wouldn't have been. I don't think it would have been the the woman and the man though. That's. <laughs> would it have? Would you have had Janet and our and our narrator hook up? Yeah, yeah. that was that was yeah. my ship. My ship didn't yeah, happen. Yeah, that'd be awesome. <laughs> I would have liked that. My ship never happens. I have terrible luck. Aww. And then Dana would have ended up with Lou. There you go. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's so true. And then you get Stan and Stan and Mona just look at each other, and they both give each other the finger and just go back to what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh god, don't even go there. Please don't go there, David. No, 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 I wasn't. <laughs> no, you know I wouldn't. Mona wouldn't even dare. Well, <laughs> would she be that desperate? Is the question? No, ew. Uh, please stop. Oh, I have a really God. good imagination. Are we ready? Are we now concocting fanfic? Oh God! <laughs> oh my God! Someone quick. There are a few things. <laughs> oh, but there but, are few few things as depressing and shitty as working on a seaside British pub fanfiction. <laughs> but here's the thing: I just realized with Janet, if you slept with her. You'd have to like gag her. <laughs> hey, maybe she's into because, that. Maybe she's into because if she's a banshee, and then if she starts orgasming, <laughs> oh god! <laughs> now oh that's just kinky. Someone write fic. I want fic now. All right. Do the fic, Man. and someone else do the art. <laughs> That'd be you. Yeah, uh, you're the artist. Write, write, start writing your Banshee love stories. Right, start writing your Banshee erotica right now. God. Speaking yeah, of well, art, Dave, yeah. would you let me do the the art for this episode? Please. <laughs> Go for it. I kind of, uh, I don't know how it turned out, but I kind of want to try and drop the different patrons all at the bar. Let's see how. It- do it. Oh my god, that'd be great. You should great. have it where Stan just takes up, like, half of the image. Okay. Oh. The other, third, like, couple of them are all, like, at the, yeah. Oh my god, I'm real curious to see how you're gonna do this. I don't know how I will, but I'll try. Also, have the, have the four of us squish to one end. Yeah! Of a bar. <laughs> I like that a lot, actually. 
<laughs> oh, that'd be awesome. Cool. Well, um, I think we'll go ahead and wrap up at this point, but uh, I, we, we already kind of got our plugs away at the beginning. Uh, and is there anything anybody wants to... Where can we find The Witching Hour podcast? That's a good question. Where can we find The Witching Hour? You can find us at witchinghourpodcast.com. And all of our links to everything are there, to our YouTube and Tumblr. And um, we're still accepting uh, Tallahassee Harlot stories. So if you don't know what Tallahassee Harlot is, she has her own link on our website. So, yep. Which, awesome. Yep. Oh, wait, yeah, always feel free to reach out to us if you're doing anything creative. We like having guests, so. Yes. <laughs> um, if all goes well, um, I should be back on The Witching Hour pretty soon Yes, here. both David and Kayla will be on The Witching Hour very soon. Yay! That's excellent. Uh, I want to extend a quick thanks again to Summer McKinney for sharing us a very entertaining story. I know I thanked her at the beginning, but I'm going to thank her again because now, that was great. Now I can officially thank her for our good story. Yeah. Now I can say thank you, not just thank you for the suggestion, but thank you for actually picking a good story. <laughs> and um, I guess with that said, we'll uh, we'll retire for the evening. Hey, you got anybody want to go out for drinks at the local British seaside British pub? <laughs> no, actually, no. <laughs> oh wait, we we have to go on. <laughs> okay, that's fair. After this story, I don't know if I ever want to set foot in a British pub. Actually, hey, if you guys come up to Portland, we'll find some nice pub in Astoria. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Oh fuck, let's go to Astoria. Yeah. Fish and chips. Yeah. Let's go find. Brian doesn't like fish. Let's go find a pirate cave. And, Ooh. And look for a pirate ship. That'd be cool. You know, that was totally in a cave and not in a soundstage in Hollywood. <laughs> hey, you guys! <laughs> this podcast is a part of the Benview Network. You can find this and other podcasts like it at BenviewNetwork.com. <laughs>